This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Some years ago, a soldier returned home after serving in combat. His family told him that they were sure he would come back because they had prayed for him. But when he heard those words, he responded bitterly by saying, Don't you talk like that. I cannot stand to hear it. It's just chance who comes back home and who dies. I prayed for buddies of mine who have been killed. Then he told about a group of soldiers who were retreating under heavy enemy fire. They had reached a tiny thicket that provided a little cover. Then the bushes caught fire and the men were burned to death. All the while the soldiers said their buddies had been praying for them, first for their safety, then they prayed for a mercifully quick death. Neither prayer was answered. And so this bitter veteran said to his family, what's the use of telling me I was protected by your prayers? How could we have been protected when the other men were left to burn to death? We prayed with passion, with madness, and we were not heard. But let me tell you now another story which has sort of a different slant. During World War II, Eddie Rickenbacker was forced to make a crash landing in his plane in the Pacific. He and seven others were set adrift on three small rubber rafts out in the ocean. They had no water. Their only food was four small oranges. They had fish hooks, but no bait. They ate the last orange on the sixth day. One man had a New Testament. Rickenbacker suggested morning and evening prayer meetings. Each man read a Bible passage, and then one of them would pray. On the eighth day after the prayers, a seagull landed on Rickenbacker's hat. They caught the bird, ate it, and used his intestines as bait to catch fish. That night it rained and they had water for the first time in eight days. They saved all they could for later use. And it turned out that they needed it during 24 long days and nights before they were rescued. With the water, with the food that they were able to gather, seven of the eight survived that ordeal. Concerning that seagull, Rickenbacker later wrote, Some may call that a coincidence. I call it a gift from heaven. He considered their survival an evidence that God had answered their prayer. On the basis of his experience, that soldier believed that God does not answer prayer. On the basis of his experience, Eddie Rickenbacker strongly was convinced that God does answer prayer. Now this morning in seeking to answer the question, how can we believe that God answers prayer? I think we have to conclude that experience is a very strong factor, but not the determining factor. 
There's some people who today have experiences like that soldiers, and yet they still believe in prayer. Others have had experiences somewhat like Rickenbackers, and yet they chalk it up to coincidence, not to answered prayer. If you're one here today, maybe listening by podcast, who feels that God does not answer prayer, I'm not sure this sermon can turn you around in your thinking. However, I do want us to look together at some evidences by which Christians do support the claim that God answers prayer. And so we might all hopefully be strengthened today in our faith in a God who does hear and who answers our prayer. First, I'd like for us to look together at the problem of unanswered prayer. It may be surprising to some that the Bible gives us a mixed report on the subject of answers to prayer. On one hand, the Bible records many promises about prayer, many reports that prayers were answered. But there are also other places in the Bible where we read that prayers were not answered, or at least they were answered with a divine no. Most of us have heard the explanation that all prayers are answered, some yes and some no, some wait a while. I heard somebody say one time, there's a fourth answer. Sometimes God says, you got to be kidding. (laughs) However, in the sense that we do ask for certain things to happen, often these things do not happen as we pray. This is the normal meaning of answered or unanswered prayer, as we think of them in common terms. Now, let's look at some Bible examples of what we call unanswered prayer. First, Moses. He prayed that he might enter the promised land of Canaan, but that request was refused. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 3, you'll see that. Another example, David in the Old Testament asked the Lord to let him build the temple, but that job was given to his son. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. The prophets of old prayed that Israel and Judah might repent and be spared, but both nations were destroyed. Over to the New Testament, the, Paul prayed repeatedly for removal of his thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. But that thorn remained. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And coming to a higher example, Jesus prayed in the garden that his cup of suffering and death might be bypassed, but it was not. Mark chapter 14. What we call unanswered prayers are not easy to explain, especially when it seems that the desired answers would be in keeping with what God would ideally want also. But on this matter, God does not leave us completely in the dark. The Bible does give us some reasons for what we call unanswered prayer. One reason is because of unconfessed sins. In Psalm 66, verse 18, the psalmist says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Another reason for these unanswered prayers is self-centeredness. Jesus once told a parable recorded in Luke chapter 18 about two men who went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, the other was a publican. And in verse 11 of that chapter, Luke 18, 
there are two words which give a clue as to why some prayers are not answered. The verse reads as follows. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus, listen, with himself. That just says he went through the motions of praying. I don't think it was a real prayer to God. He was only talking to himself. That's what the Bible said. He prayed with himself. A prayer which is completely self-centered, I don't think is a prayer at all. Jesus says about the same thing when he said in James 4, verse 3, James says in verse 4, uh, verse 3 of, of chapter 4 of James, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly or to spend it on your own passions. Let me give a third reason for what I call unanswered prayer. This is because we sometimes pray ritualistic prayers, just repeating words and phrases over and over. Isn't that significant that before Jesus gave us that model prayer, which we often call the Lord's Prayer, He warned us first that when we pray, we should not use vain repetitions. One translation says it, that we're not to heap up empty phrases. Do you think about the words and phrases whenever you are asked to pray the Lord's Prayer? Or do you just heap up empty phrases? Are you just reciting something you learned as a child maybe? Ritualistic prayers. But there's another reason I think for unanswered prayer and because that's because prayers are not fervent. Our prayers are often unreal because they don't represent what in our inward hearts we really crave. I heard about a little small boy one time who was being tucked in bed for the night by his father. The child had said his regular bedtime prayers and presumably he was ready to go to sleep. He had been accustomed to sleeping with a light on in his room. But on this night, his father informed him that he was now old enough to sleep in the dark. The little boy argued, but his father stood his ground. Finally, when the little boy realized that he would soon be left alone in a dark room, he asked, Daddy, can I say my prayers again, and this time a little more carefully? <laughs> Probably another reason why some prayers are unanswered is because they're not persistent. Jesus told two parables that teach us that we are to be persistent in prayer. I wish I had time to read all these. Let me just tell you where they found Luke chapter 11. It's about a friend who came at midnight. And the other one is in Luke 18 about the unjust judge. You can read those for yourself. Now the point is not that God is like that repentant or the reluctant friend. God is not like the unjust judge. The point of these stories is that real prayer is earnest and persistent. Some prayers are so casual, I wonder if they could rank as prayers at all. Now we've spent a good bit of time already today looking at this category of unanswered prayer. But what about those unanswered prayers that are real prayers, prayed by trusting people who are truly committed to the Lord? We've asked before in this series of sermons, how can we believe in a loving God in a world of suffering? We observe in that sermon that although God is almighty, this is a truth, but God has chosen 
to limit his almightiness in certain ways. He has voluntarily chosen to, to limit himself in these ways. God has chosen not to violate two things. First, our human freedom. And second, his basic order of the universe. Let's look first at this matter of human freedom. Consider the prayers of a wonderful Christian mother on behalf of her wayward son. But still that son persists in his waywardness. He does not repent. Does this mean that God has not heard her prayer? Oh no. It means that the son has resisted all his mother's efforts and all the prompting of God even toward a better life. Assuming that this mother has done all she can do both in prayers and in her actions, God also may have done all that he is going to do. He will not barge in. He's not going to violate the sanctity of the human will. He's not going to force that son to love him. It's sometimes frightening to realize that as human beings, we've been given this God-given freedom. A person can choose to reject God and live with the consequences. But look at the second area wherein God has chosen to limit himself. This is in the basic order of the universe. Some people call this a natural law or cosmic faithfulness. Can you imagine the chaos that would result if God suddenly started overturning his basic order of the universe? There's a story about a little girl who was asked on a geography test in school, what is the highest mountain in the world? She answered it, Lookout Mountain. <laughs> Later when she went home, she discovered that her answer was wrong. So when she said her prayers that night, she prayed, Oh God, please make Lookout Mountain the highest mountain in the world. Now that little girl may have been thinking, even as some adults think, that God can and will do anything. Aren't you glad, though, that God chooses to stay with his basic order of the universe that he's put here? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow said, What discord should we bring into the universe if our prayers were all answered? Then we would govern the world and not God. And you think if we would govern it even any better? Now, having said all this, we must conclude by looking at another side of this truth. God is not imprisoned in a universe which he has made, nor is he an absent creator who no longer is active in this world. The actions and the prayers of God's people do have a measure of influence upon what takes place in our daily lives. Look with me for just a few minutes, some examples of this truth. First, prayer changes the person who prays. William Law once said that he had demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's utterly impossible for one to maintain a spirit of ill will toward a person if he prays for that person. That if one prays for another earnestly, sincerely, continuously, he simply cannot maintain a spirit of animosity and ill will toward that person. That is not an untried theory. It's a surefire remedy if you'll give it a chance. If you'll put yourself out in prayer for another person, 
you'll find it not only possible to forgive that person, you'll find it impossible not to forgive. Prayer will do that. Prayer not only changes the person who prays, it changes the person prayed for. When J. Wilbur Chapman came to the pastorate of the Bethany Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, God blessed that man's ministry in the most wonderful way, but it could have gone otherwise. On the first Sunday after he had preached his first sermon there, one member of his church came up to the preacher and said, Reverend, you seem like a very ordinary individual. I'm afraid you're going to fail here as our pastor. But six or eight men have promised to meet me here next Sunday morning, and we're going to pray for you. And we're going to spend an hour in prayer that your ministry here in this church may be successful. That group grew to 500 people praying for Wilbur Chapman. They literally prayed him into success. They so undergirded his ministry that it was almost impossible for him to fail. Finally, we can say that prayer not only changes the person who prays, not only the person prayed for, but prayer often changes circumstances and conditions. Yes, we do live in a world of order and human freedom. God's laws may not be broken, but they may be used in ways we have never dreamed of. Water does not run uphill. That law may not be broken, but it can be used you didn't violate the law of gravity this morning when you turned on your faucet. You used it in a different special way. Steel is heavier than water, and therefore it'll not float on water. But we have learned to use that law in a special way, and ships weighing multiplied tons do float. It used to be inconceivable that something as heavy as an airplane could fly through the air. But the laws of aerodynamics do not break the law of gravity. They use certain laws in special ways. And God has chosen that our prayers can be used to bring about certain unexpected changes, not to break His basic laws, but to override our own limited understanding in wonderful ways that we could never imagine. How can we believe that God answers prayer? There are two words we often hear in connection with prayer, faith and trust. Some people emphasize almost exclusively the first, these words, faith. They quote verses like Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Now that verse is true, but it must be balanced by the other element of trust in God's perfect will. 1 John 5, 14 says, And this is the confidence we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Faith is essential in prayer, but fortunately, God does not demand perfect faith. Paul knew this, and in Ephesians 4, he offered a beautiful prayer. And then he committed this prayer, 
to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think. That's Ephesians 3, verse 20. The poet has said, I do not know by what methods rare, but this I know, God answers prayer. I know that he has given his word, which tells me prayer is always heard and will be answered soon or late. And so I pray and calmly wait. I know not if the blessing sought will come in just the way I thought, but leave my prayers with him alone, whose will is wiser than my own, assured that he will grant my quest or send some answer far more blessed. Oh God, we thank you so much that you've given us a privilege of coming into your presence through prayer. Lord, we would say with the disciples of old, teach us to pray, not just words to say, but the right attitude to have when we approach your throne of grace. Always, Lord, help us to offer our prayer in the spirit and in the name and seeking the will of our Heavenly Father as expressed in your Son, Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.